Hello and welcome to this one time at summer camp, a podcast all about summer camp. As always, it's me, Peter, and your boy, Nick. Hello, hello. And that is not all we're going to have today. We are about to sit down and have a bit of a chat with Eric Glickman about his camp novel. Um, throughout this episode, I consistently call his, his book different things because I'm not sure what to call it. Graphic novel. Graphic think, novel. Think really long comic book. Also, maybe something worth mentioning up top. Um, it's, a, it's a graphic novel for the older audience. Let's say that. Absolutely. And yeah, it was so exciting to have him on. It was just very interesting to uh, talk to a guy kind of coming from a very different place to uh, what we normally are. You know, he's uh, talking about his novel that is set in 77. An epic coming of age story of a young boy at a Jewish summer camp. Yeah, it's it's still very relatable. All right. Well, I hope you enjoy and... uh, Bone apple teeth. Bone apple teeth. Um, so super stoked to have Eric on the podcast today. Um, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. The reason why we're talking to Eric today is because you've uh, written a book, Eric. I have. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Okay, sure. Well, um, I am the author and illustrator of a graphic novel called Camp Pakawakni and the Dynamite Summer of 77. Um, which is a 300-page coming-of-age graphic novel celebrating uh, the magic and the memories and the mishigas and the minutia that make up summers at Jewish sleepaway camp specifically, but really any sleepaway camp at all. And it's kind of a fictionalized story inspired by my 10 years that I myself went to sleepaway camp as a kid. So my... Roots run incredibly deep with sleepaway camp. My parents met at the exact same sleepaway camp that I went to for 10 years in the late 50s, fell in love there. They had three kids. Me and my brothers all went there for many, many years. And then my children, who are now adult children, also went to that same camp. So this book is fictionalized, but uh, it's really a love letter to to sleepaway camp. That is a true dynasty of summer camp. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of cool. When we're at camp, you know, uh, my parents uh, are on plaques that hang in the dining hall from Color War. They were Color War leaders back in 1960. And so when I went there as a little kid, you know, their names were there up on the walls. And then, you know, I aspired to someday be a Color War leader. And um, yeah, it's kind of cool. So Nick and I, we're lucky enough for you to um, send us a, a copy of your graphic novel to read. And um yeah, just transported back to all of the memories that I had at summer camp. And it's nice to know that even though it's set some years ago, that so much is still relevant to today. Yeah. So what what kind of things did you see that happened that that kind of jumped out at you? I, I know that when I was listening to your podcast, you guys, you definitely get into minutia in a way that I truly enjoy. And I'm just curious, was there things that happened that in the book that you read that were like, oh, that's kind of like, I don't know, something. <laughs> so I, one of the things that really struck me was um, there was uh, one day where you're writing about a really rainy day when there's like a storm happening. Yep. And I can't quite remember, what was it you were chanting? Bunk- bunko. We want Bunko. 
We yeah. want Bunko. We want Bunko. I think me and Peter are thinking the same thing. <laughs> so I can't remember exactly if we had something we would uh, chant like that, but how excited the kids would always get for like a rainy day, even though it means like they can't go and do activities. Well, it yeah, just makes I... me think about um, rest till three. Mm. Um, when we extend rest hour, right? None of the campers want this, but we get them all chanting, "Rest till three, rest till three. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Every camp has their things that they do, and yeah, I think it, that is one of the, like the magic tricks of camp. How it happens exactly, I don't know. The counselors have figured it out. It's been passed on down from campers who went there and had counselors who did certain things and then those people become counselors and they pass down those same events and I think I did want to capture those kinds of things and I knew that this was specific more to my camp but that I knew that there were things like Restle 3 instead of We Want Bunko that would have happened um, and then there's things that you know you try to get away with on that same rainy day you know Glick my sort of alter ego in this book and his two buddies go mudsliding, but get caught mm. before they get back to the bunk. So that was something that we tried to get away with when there was a rainy day. And I think all those little elements sort of build the the quilt of the summer. You know, they're all little patches that make the, the quilt of the summer. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we are definitely coming at it from a very different place. Um, me and Pete weren't campers. But yeah, still things like just the morning ritual of like the cleaning and playing the music and the counselor like, you know, waking the kids up in all these crazy ways. Like I thought that was just exactly the same. Right. Yeah. Thinking about your guys' point of view, you know, there is that idolization of the counselor who can kind of make everything great, who can um, make cleanup suddenly something really fun, you know, uh, in the book whoever is the, the, the lead sweeper gets to pick what cassette tape, which I'm sure you guys aren't using cassette tapes, <laughs> but we literally had, you know, a suitcase full of, you know, Maxell's cassette tapes and whoever was the lead sweeper got to pick whatever music got to be played during cleanup because he had the worst job. In the example I did, Glick picked the cast album of the Broadway hit, A Chorus Line, which is so odd to get like 15-year-old kids into that, but that's what the counselor yeah. was into. And so we were into that. And, you know, him being excited about it and dancing around and singing would make us happy. So um, I, I could imagine similar kinds of things that you guys probably pulled off, um, obviously not using cassette tapes, but... <laughs> Uh, I think that's something you captured really well is the influence that counsellors can have on those kids. There was a whole week where I would just play the same uh, dubstep song in the morning. Yeah. So it's quite a quite a visceral thing to wake up to. And um, you got the feeling that the kids really did not enjoy it, but they kind of pretended to enjoy it. Yeah. And through pretending, did enjoy it. That whole kind of fake it till you make it type thing. Yeah. If you pretend to have fun, eventually you just start having fun. Absolutely. I'm sure that now that is such a great memory to them. And mm. probably the first day you did it or the second day you did it, it was probably like, what is going on? You know, make <laughs> this make this stop. And then suddenly it, it becomes a thing. I've had a lot of um, people reach out to me from who I haven't really spoken to in 20 or 30 years who have read the book. And, you know, they were my camper or something and they bring up 
things that I did as a counselor that are similar to that. And that's 20 years before you did what you did. So, I mean, that's the thing. In real life, I'm not a morning person, but I am a camp person. So if I'm at camp, I can wake up when my alarm goes off and just, you know, get it going. Right. Um, I have one question after reading the book, and I should have a lot more. But <laughs> um, I hope you have more than one question. I have more than one question, but um, after canteen in the night, uh, when all the kids are like running around and stuff with each other, uh, there's the older lady who like runs the camp. Yes, and she she always says, you know, oh, good night, cabin nineteen, good night, cabin twenty. And I think you mentioned that that was at like 10 o'clock or something. Yeah. Is this lady up till like midnight every night and then like wakes up at 7 a.m. to yeah, like wake that's... everyone up? Like she seems to be the voice that wakes everyone up and tells everyone to go to bed. Yep. <laughs> and is it always this one lady and does she sleep? In the book, it's the two owners of the camp. And this is the, the woman who is co-owners of the camp with her with her husband. And um, yeah, she works out of the office and wakes people up in the morning and, and puts them to bed at night. And it's sort of like hers is the first voice you hear in the morning and it's the last voice you hear before you go to bed. So um, I think that has sort of a nice metaphorical sense to it and that the way the owners mm. were, but it was it's close to reality. So, yeah. So one question I'm really intrigued to ask you uh, and it's kind of a two-part question. What was your favorite summer camp meal? And in the book, you also mentioned something called cheese boats. That is, and yep. I, I really need to know more about cheese boats. <laughs> well, I, I, would say I, the I cheese... thought the same thing, the cheese boats. I was like, what is that? Why is he excited to eat this? I love cheese. I love boats. <laughs> Ticks all my boxes. Well, a cheese boat, um, I guess, would have to be my, my favorite camp meal. Um Basically, it was a hoagie roll. You guys know hoagies, a sub roll, a long sandwich yep, roll. Yep. And uh, basically, all it had was two slices of melted American cheese on top of it. It was a little bit toasted and then some tomato sauce, lukewarm, poured on top of it. That's that's your cheese boat. And yet, it was freaking delicious. <laughs> <laughs> all of your nutritional needs. Exactly. All the food groups were are included there. You got a veggie, you got some dairy, you got some carbs. What else do you need? Living the dream. I, I think that goes back again to what we're saying about how just um, you can kind of make anything exciting in your head when you put it in a summer camp context. Did you guys have a, a favorite meal that was similar in its ludicrousness to a cheese boat or... I think, I don't know, sometimes American food can just be a bit much for me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's but, a bit much. <laughs> I don't know, I guess this isn't a weird meal for Americans, but I do think um, sausage and biscuit, um, that is something, you know, I obviously ate at camp. And it's a very weird meal because biscuit in America is a scone and you've got like sausage on it and you've got like egg on it and you're putting like sriracha on it yeah um and i did enjoy it but it was always a bit wrong yeah what about you pete i mean my favorite meal has to be pizza night right um so you know f for context our camp ran one week at a time one week sessions mm -hmm. um and so 
any night pizza night rolled around, I was living for it. Even sometimes we would have uh, we would have like the evening off just after dinner ends, and even if I was going out to dinner that night with some friends, like driving off camp, I'm still gonna eat like three or four personal size pizzas um, <laughs> before I go. Yeah, yeah, I think food definitely it plays a part in camp to me, and it it it, it definitely uh, became like a through line for certain things. You know, I talk about the every Sunday morning lox and bagel meal, which had this mm. tradition of trying to put that thing together. Um, there was obviously all the canteen food. Um, Glick had this issue with frozen Snicker bars. We're trying to crack the, the frozen Snicker bar yeah. in his teeth. And, you know, it always happening at an awkward moment. And then the idea of um, at the very end of summer, you know, the last, the last meal of the summer was the the saddest food in the world you know so cornbread it was cornbread correct yeah i mean i don't know there's so many things in your book that are just little personal moments but they can be so easily transferred to your own personal moments maybe that's what brought you to our podcast you know we do talk about camp and a lot of people they can listen to that and even if they've not been to our camp, they're like, oh, you know, that's a lot like at my camp where blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that was one of the things I was going for was to try to trigger other people with the specificity of my story and have them, you know, you guys aren't that old, but to some extent I was writing for even an older audience. You know, it's, it is grounded in 77 and um, so I was trying to, you know, trigger people's memories or have them remember things that they had forgotten you know i've talked to a bunch of people and they really they they found that that happened to them so i love that about the book one thing i'm always interested to hear is um when people tell me about the like we kind of mentioned the traditional stories that people tell every summer one that really uh, got my brain going was um the cautionary tale of someone jumping out of a window <laughs> In, yes. the, in the cabin yeah. yeah um obviously i don't want to give away the whole book just here um but do you reckon you could tell us that that little snippet there yeah yeah so this is based on reality again somewhat uh somewhat molded to work in the book but basically we were you know given a talk about why we shouldn't go on raids which is when you leave your cabin in the middle of the night unbeknownst to anybody else and go to the uh, cabins of your girlfriend or boyfriends and you would go for a little bit of as um, the the owner of the camp calls it a little bit of hanky panky or some kind of reference to that and he tells a story of a kid from generations ago so nobody could really know whether this was true or not who got caught in his girlfriend's cabin and jumps out the window to escape being caught and has his ear ripped off by a nail by the window. And Oof. so he's lying on the floor with his head bleeding and his ear hanging hanging on the nail on the side of the cabin. So this was the story we were told in order to prevent us from thinking that it was a good idea to go on the raid, as if that would be the result no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, we heard the story every year, and it always sounded fantastical and probably not real and 
the next summer it sort of morphs into something else, but it's all based on some lore that has been passed on to scare the kids, engage the kids, spark their imaginations. I think that's, you know, what you're sort of doing there. You know, nobody wants to terrify the kids, but you want to spark their imagination. You want to get them thinking. And then they do would do the same thing when they got older, whether they told mm. younger kids the stories or whether they become counselors and tell their campers the stories. As a kid at one of the summer camps I went to, um, we would like go for a week and yeah, do, do a bunch of activities. Um, but I remember the counselors telling me that um, the river that we went canoeing on um, had crocodilly pigs in it. <laughs> so obviously, uh, obviously a half crocodile, half pig uh, hybrid. <laughs> and I could swear that I saw one one time. <laughs> of like, course you did. <laughs> to this day, I'm still like, I saw it hanging out in the reeds below in the river. I'm like, that, that is the, that is exactly that. <laughs> and then yeah cut to me being a counsellor and uh, we're telling all the kids that um, the barnacles that would wash up on the shore that they were um, sea bear teeth <laughs> um, right and they were they were really sharp so you had to watch out for them so it was like a cautionary tale but yeah I'm sure there's a number of kids who still think that sea bears shed teeth real easy <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah they're like sharks they've got rows of teeth that just yeah, come through a- conveyor belt so just uh, one thing i want to circle back to um with the novel it's interesting you didn't go with the uh the classic g-rated approach and sort of before you talk about that i just kind of want to say that's sort of something i really feel like kind of pulls us together because a lot of people they go for a very hardcore like g rating when they talk about camp and we kind of made a very unconscious choice to um be a bit more real about camp and things that happened and, you know, we swear and stuff like that. <laughs> and, yeah, you've done the same with the comic and, you know, I really liked it. Yeah, um, I think I wanted to reflect reality and that is the reality. So, you know, this is a story of 15-year-old boys, mostly. It's certainly from uh, one 15-year-old boy's point of view. Um, nothing in the in the book actually happens that Glick doesn't witness himself or see. So Mm. this is the way that boys talk and interact. And it's also the seventies. So I think there's a little bit of, you know, I don't think things were as PC then. And so I wanted to reflect that, but jokes about feces and sexual acts are part of the conversation of 15 year old boys. They're trying to figure out their world and themselves. And they're, you know, they're very much, you know, straddling this space. And I think actually what I wanted to do was draw this in a way that was sort of like cute, very almost classic comic book style, black and white, and then have the content. It's sort of like there to be a little bit of tension between the way things looked visually and then the words that are coming out of their mouths or the things that we see um, to sort of like capture that tension that happens when you're sort of straddling like your innocence of your childhood and you're trying to figure out your adolescence, you're moving into adulthood. And so I, I was trying to capture that in in a way through the combination of the words and the art. I also wanted to draw certain things that I think if I drew them in a different way, wouldn't be so great. So, you know, we were talking about the story of the kid whose ear get ripped off. Well, later, you know, there's a giant old man's hairy testicle hanging out and I draw a picture <laughs> of that. And, you know, if I drew that realistic, which I can, 
I don't think it would be, you know, as funny, but it's just funnier done in sort of simple cartoon style. There's something that like captures still how innocent the fact that these kids are seeing this guy's, you know, nut hanging out. (laughs) Or there's moments where a kid is trying to, you know, suspend himself high above a toilet and drop a turd into the toilet. And if I drew that in some other way, it might not look as good. But I think I wanted to honor that age range and the way that kids really are, you know, and not try to sugarcoat it. And I think, ostensibly, the book is as sweet as could be. But it's a bunch of 15-year-old boys living in a cabin together. I mean, it's <laughs> it's not it's not always a pretty picture. So I wanted to capture that, but I wanted to capture it in the right way. I wanted, you know, even them, you know, calling each other names and everything, I wanted to capture in a way that showed that it was really sort of with love and that there's really a camaraderie between all the characters, um, the, you know, especially the best friends. I mean, it's such a formative age of, like, young people's lives at at that point i can only really commend you like it's it's done in a way that captures what that's like without being too graphic as you say it's yeah. done in a way where it's uh humorous what age did you guys have as as counselors just out of curiosity so the the, the youngest um kids that we would have at our camp would be like eight-year-olds uh-huh and then going up to 16 um, oh, okay. So, because it was one week sessions, you often switched between different age groups. I think luckily I was traditionally more with the older boys. I think it's also interesting, you know. So, you, yeah, I've talked to a bunch of different people, and their their time frame of their camps has been different experience. So, this was mm-hmm. an eight week camp, and it was just one session. It was eight weeks, and we all sort of lived that same sort of like, you know, arc or movie arc, but everybody I've talked to, it's like whatever their personal experience was, that's the one that like feels like that's the way it should be. That's the way camp mm, should be. So, yeah. I've been to uh, two camps. Um, the camp I went to with Pete, obviously one week. The other camp I went to, you have them for four weeks. And I don't know, I think being more used to the one week, I had a cabin that was just mostly pretty turdy kids. <laughs> <laughs> just like four weeks of being like oh imagine if i just had him for one week (laughs) (laughs) but then the second half of the summer i had uh, like new kids and they were great and i was just like oh yeah i could have them a whole summer so i don't know maybe it's just potluck there definitely is that there was always the the good cabin and you know the not so good cabin somehow those things sort of happened um over different summers can I just jump in with a random story? So, um, when when you spoke earlier about there's a scene in the book where a kid is standing on like the top of the toilet system, yeah. um, trying to poop into the toilet bowl, um, yeah. which is just a really funny point. Uh, I remember <laughs> hearing a story when I was at camp of some of the pranks that used to go on. Yeah, and apparently one of the pranks they did. Um, this was like the camp chef who was at camp the very first year that it ever ran and they would poop in someone's toilet and because they had AC units then you could turn those AC units onto hot so they would go into someone's cabin poop in the toilet not flush it turn the AC on hot shut all the doors and windows (laughs) (laughs) absolutely just ruin their cabin for weeks stink out (laughs) stink out the whole space that's amazing (laughs) So brutal. 
So. I like it. <laughs> That's diabolical. Absolutely <laughs> diabolical. <laughs> something that, you know, something that is a reoccurring um, theme through your book is that, you know, um, I think in your book you called it uh, Julusion. I did call um, it the Julusion, yes. Of camp. And yes. here's a quote. Uh, For eight weeks you will seemingly possess great athletic ability. Um, I think there was more to that, but um, no, that was it. And then the other one was, uh, you for eight weeks you will seemingly possess a way with girls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boy, did that hit hard for me. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm in Australia. It's a very sporty country, you know. Most of my friends they play numerous different sports. They're all really talented, and I am pretty fast runner that's about it but for some reason i feel like i could just go to camp and just do anything (laughs) and then you get home and you just go what happened did i atrophy on the plane like yeah did i eat too Um, much panda express and like what happened to me (laughs) i just want to tie that back to um another quote sort of at the end of the book where you know your main character he makes like a wish and he wished to be the camp version of himself all of the time and i think that is truly the one wish of any true camp person is to just be your camp you all of the time the confident athletic cool person who is good at talking to people and just super fun and not like an accountant or whatever you are back home (laughs) right no, I think I I so appreciate you pick that out because I do think that that's, you know, the main desire of the Glick character throughout the whole book is to sort of like, how can I harness this power of this delusion, this thing that, you know, seemingly shoots lightning bolts into him and makes him able to, you know, you know, talk to a girl or, you know, perform well in a sporting event. And how can he figure out how to harness this thing and bring it back with him into, you know, the quote unquote real world. And I think his concern is this is my last year as a camper. And if I don't figure it out now, I may never figure it out. I don't think that's really true, but I think when you're 15 years old, you can't really see Mm -hmm. everything for, for what it can be. And, um, that's his goal. So I love that that resonated with you. Both the two things that you mentioned are, are, are really important, I think, to me, and I think are sort of like at the heart of what the story is about. Almost the whole thing is about him being the best version of himself at camp and trying to figure it out, you know, how to be a good boyfriend and how to be a good best friend and how to be Uh, you know, a better athlete and how to be more creative and how to be more imaginative. I think he's learning all those things at camp. And I think that's what I did. You know, I learned how to, you know, tell stories and, and uh, be creative and how to, how to talk to girls and how to be a, a a good kind of boyfriend, not a shitty boyfriend, you know? (laughs) So I think he's trying to figure all that out and he thinks he has these eight weeks and the clock is ticking. So, um, I love that I love that you, you you pointed that out. Definitely, it really resonated with me. Pete, um, I remember getting told once that, um, you know, it, camp you is is the best version of yourself, and then 
as kind of international staff or you know i think this is true of kids too when you go home you kind of keep a little bit of that but it like fades almost over time but then you go back the next summer and then when you leave it stays with you a little bit longer and slowly but surely you kind of retain more of that yourself and it becomes more of a part of you kind of the more you go back to summer camp and i think there's a common thing about people saying to young adults when they're working at a summer camp as a counselor of why don't you go get a real job like something that's um gonna look good on a on a resume but then there's so many qualities and attributes that you gain at summer camp and that was what i wanted to ask you was how do you feel those summer camp experiences have kind of impacted you into your adulthood and the skills you've gained but i guess like you like you just said all of those social skills and yeah i i i love what you just said about the um you know why don't you get a real job it's like you're responsible for you know young people and helping them grow and have a good time and socialize as a counselor that's you know what could be more real than that i mean you're gonna get somebody's coffee you know in an office that's that's (laughs) that what is that what is that doing so um yeah and i think those are the things that i did get out of camp what you know what i just sort of said you know i learned to be the person i wanted to be i learned what you know like let you know be comfortable letting your freak flag fly like be who you are and be comfortable with that and i think you're in a with a bunch of people and everybody sort of plays a different role and you don't all have to be the coolest or the best or the funniest or whatever it's all sort of like the interaction and appreciating each other for what they bring to the table how they make you feel better how you can make somebody else feel better um the the socializing with with girls was just a huge thing i mean my social life was so different during my eight weeks at camp that it ever was at home until i became much older and Um, And then, yeah, being creative was, you know, a huge part of camp that I don't know that I was consciously realizing was happening, but all those little chants and all the little bits of performance that you do um, contributed to my imagination, hearing stories and then retelling them or building on them. So all of that kind of helped build me into the, the person I was. And, you know, I always felt I was the best version of myself at camp and... I wanted to retain as much. I love what you said about like each summer, you almost like kept a little bit more, kept a little bit more. And I went for 10 summers. I would have kept going, but you know, they made me stop. I had to go (laughs) get, get, get a real, an actual real, real world job. So, you know, it had to end, but (laughs) I'm still really good friends with so many people from camp. Um, And I, I talk to them all the time and it's cool to have this like, connection to people throughout your life that you know moves on into your adulthood and everything and even that connection you have with random people who you've never spoken to before but you find out you both went to a summer camp and all of a sudden yeah you've got conversation material for days (laughs) yeah like i feel like i know you guys now so (laughs) yeah (laughs) well shall we um get on the camp bus and take a drive through the haunted woods (laughs) Past the man in the hood into the wisdom zone. The wisdom, the wisdom zone. zone. The wisdom zone. Better a bad day on the water than a good day in the office. And 
the reason I have to bring this up is because I was recently in, uh, I went to Portugal for a couple of days, um, and I went there specifically to go surfing, so four days of surfing, and um, the waves were not great. They're usually pretty good there, and when I went there, they happened to be pretty small, and um, even though it wasn't what I wanted, still rather be out there than um, in an office, as we say. I mean, that ties directly back to what Eric just said, you know, like mm. a, re- a real job, you know, uh, getting coffee in an office. This, uh, I, I have a random thing to throw in. I don't know. If, <laughs> basically, I got that quote from a hoodie that my sister used to have. I was telling I was telling Eric this before <laughs> we started recording. Um, and as like, I, I know she doesn't listen to this podcast, so we're good. She lost that hoodie and hasn't been able to find another one, right? And I have done everything I can to even, like, find a photo of this hoodie. It was made by the company Fat Face, which is a cool clothing brand. Um, yeah, and it, it was a hoodie, and it had that uh, with, like, a picture on the back. And <laughs> I know we're not getting the couple mil listeners per month that we were hoping, Nick, but um, uh, you never know. Uh I messaged the company to see if they knew anything about it. And they were like, oh, have you tried Google? I was like, yes, I've tried Google, obviously. <laughs> it was the first thing I tried. I didn't go straight to you. Um, I don't know, man, if anyone ever know. finds a hoodie like that. One might try. come your way. You never know. You never know. Well, this wonderful, beautiful book, comic, whatever you want to call it, where might one find it? Sell the good people. Well, the book is called Camp Pockawakne, P-O-C-K-A-W-O-C-K-N-E-E, Camp Pockawakne, and the Dynamite Summer of 77. It's from uh, Black Panel Press. You can find this usually at any place that you buy books. So Amazon's a good place to start, but uh, you can go directly to blackpanelpress.com if you'd like. You can... Go on Amazon and find it. Uh, yeah, it's out there. It's in the world. It's in bookstores. It's in comic book stores. If it's not in your local comic book store, you can request it. So if you're missing those halcyon days of summer, it'll shake that memory tree of yours. Bring it to camp for Bunko. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, I'd love if kids brought this to camp. I feel like it would be contraband, you know, like the... <laughs> The, the, the head of the camps wouldn't like it, but, you know, the kids would love it. <laughs> now, what's, that's just going to be what makes it more alluring. <laughs> Bit of a black so, market for the book. There you go. Mm. <laughs> Anything you want to shout out, Nick? Oh, you know, um, this podcast we're on is uh, a pretty good shout out. Um, again, thanks for coming on to this one time at summer camp. If you want to email us or contact us in any way, we're on Instagram. This one time at Summer Camp Pod. Um, you can email us at this one time at Summer Camp Pod at gmail.com if you've got anything you want to say, any questions you want to ask, any words of wisdom. And that's it. Peter Davy. Uh, I would just like to shout out Cheese Boats. Cheese Boats, good and, one. And uh, I'm going to make a cheese boat. There you go. Um, it won't um, be quite the same, but... Which, which, 
hypothetically, let's say I tried to make an actual boat out of cheese. Which <laughs> cheese do you think would have the best buoyancy? Oof, I don't know. You're the guy who said you were a science guy. You should know the answer to that. I mean, I can tell you the worst cheese to make a boat out of. All right, let's start there. Swiss, obviously Swiss. <laughs> there you go, of course. Yeah, but if you plug, if too, you plug too many the holes, holes, then you've got um, air pockets. Ah, <laughs> oh, buoyancy tanks, yeah. <laughs> See, there's too much to think about. Maybe if you get Swiss and you plug it with, like, cheddar... looking wistfully into one. the distance <laughs> i'm just thinking i've i've uh, i've got a whole list of cheese jokes that i would like tell to the kids one by one and then the kids would just progressively freak out and be like what why are all these jokes about cheese and i think i've mentioned this before and there's there's a i feel like there's a slightly related one um what kind of cheese would you use to surround a castle Mozzarella. Of course. I hate it. And with that... <laughs> <laughs> and on that note... <laughs> it's uh, it's <coughs> time to sing Taps. There you go. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, do, do you have the same version of Taps that we had, right? I, I would have, Did you I would have, have a so. daytime and a nighttime Taps, or just a nighttime one? Taps was at nighttime for us. Bugle, bugle playing. I mean, it was a record, but a bugle playing taps. Yeah, would be the the going to you know time to shut the lights out. Bugle sound. Day is done. That's the one. Really? They would just, they would just play it with a with a bugle, but um, yeah. It's nice to know that's a long-standing tradition. Yeah. All right. It's been awesome um, and a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Um, so we're done, right? I can say other things. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Alrighty, so that was our conversation with Eric Glickman. And what a conversation it was. Um, fire out. That was, that was probably one of my, I don't know, I don't want to dunk on other guests, but that was probably one of my favorite guests we've had on the show so far. It's always a good time when you find like-minded individuals who just want to talk about summer camp. If you actually want to follow... Eric the Glick himself, that's uh, Glick23 on Instagram. Or if you want to follow the adventures of Camp Pocker Wachney, um, that is Dynamite Summer 77 on Instagram as well. I think the rest of the plugs managed to land themselves in the episode. I was uh, trying to entice him into singing taps with me, but um, he wasn't going for he, it, he, he, he resisted <laughs> the urge. Uh, look, that is an easy... Day is oh. done. <laughs> Even as a counsellor, I hated taps. <laughs> Good night this one time at Summer Camp Pod. Good night. Thanks for having us. Mm-hmm.